towards the end of our series in Deuteronomy. We're in Deuteronomy chapter 20 today, and a really fun topic. We're going to be talking about faith in battle, faith in battle. Um, and this is, there's a lot of components about what it means to be a Christian and to be in battle as a Christian. We're going to get into some of that fun stuff today, uh, but we're going to look at, in the beginning at how Moses talks to Israel right before they are about to enter into a period of battle. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But you can read on the screen with me. We're in Deuteronomy chapter 20. We're going to start off reading verses 1 to 9. Again, this is Moses speaking to Israel. And he says, When you go out to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army larger than your own, you shall not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you who brought you up out of the land of Egypt And when you draw near to the battle, the priest shall come forward and speak to the people and shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies. Let not your heart faint. Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. Then the officers shall speak to the people saying, Is there any man who has built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man dedicated. And is there any man who has planted a vineyard and has not enjoyed its fruit? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man enjoy its fruit. Is there any man who has betrothed a wife and has not taken her? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man take her. And the officer shall speak further to the people and say, Is there any man who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go back to his house, lest he make the heart of his fellows melt like his own. And when the officers have finished speaking to the people, then commanders shall be appointed at the head of the people. So just to provide a little bit more context to what's happening here. Israel is about to enter into a period of war. As I said, they are going into uh, what's going to be many years of fighting to take the promised land that God has given them. Um, And as they go into this, they're going to be conquering city after city and going up against army after army. And so Moses here is right before they're about to go into the promised land, right before they're about to enter into battle. He lays down some new laws for them. He lays down four laws for them. And these laws are important in order for them to enter into this new period and experience victory as they're going to go. So we're going to go quickly over these laws and then kind of talk about how this relates to us today. So the first law Moses lays down in the beginning, he says, you shall not be afraid. It's one of those things, uh, a lot easier said than done. Um, But why does Moses lay down this law? Because if anybody knows the Bible, you know what happened 40 years before this is God They came to the same exact point. They were about to go into the promised land. God said he was going to fight with them. He was going to go into battle with them. And then they go and they scope out the land. And what happens? They're afraid. And so because of that, because of their disbelief in God, then they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. So the first very important law that Moses lays down is do not be afraid. Remember what God has done for you. He has done so much. There is nothing to be worried about as we are going into battle. The second law that Moses lays down is he says, the priest will come and speak over the army. And I love this, so we're going to read it again. The the priests are going to come before the battle and they're going to say this. Hear, O Israel, 
Today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies. Let not your heart be faint. Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. So before every single time that they go into battle, they are supposed to have the priests come out and remind them what is the promise of God here with battle. That God is going to give them victory and that he has gone before them to fight. He says, do not be in dread, do not panic, do not fear. God is with you. Remember Israel, God is the one who fights for you. He is the one that is going to give you victory. He is the one that goes before you. So he is, Israel needs to be reminded that these people may have better armor than them. They may have bigger cities than them. They have, may, may have great walls. They may have better fighters. They may have bigger numbers. But what they don't have is the Lord Almighty going before them in battle. And that's what Israel has. So they need to be reminded in the face of adversity. They need to be reminded in the face of bad odds, which they came against many, many times, that God is with them and he is the one that gives them victory. And to further push this point, there's a third law given that, and this is a bit of a weird law because it goes against everything we know about battle. Moses gives them four different opportunities to leave and not fight. So the first one is if they just got a new home. Go home and dedicate your home. Enjoy your home. The second one, if they just planted a new vineyard, if they just got some new crops and they haven't had a chance to enjoy it, go home. If they are just getting married, God's saying, don't die a virgin, brother. Go home. Enjoy your wife. God created sex. I'm sorry, people. And he made it very good. Well, we'll talk about that one day. Some people blushing right now. Then the fourth thing he says, he says, if you are afraid, go home. We don't want you here. You're going to mess it up for everybody else. We don't need anybody running before the battle is over and messing up the line. But really, this is, this is weird because when you think about going into battle, you think we need the numbers. We need as much of the numerics on our side as possible. But Moses is trying to get rid of people at this point. And it just goes to show the truth of the second law. God is with them. They are not going to win this battle on their own. See, the minute that they start to panic, the minute that they start to feel dread in their hearts, the minute that fear overcomes them is the moment that disbelief and doubt settles in about who their God is and what he has promised. And so to, to kind of show you, illustrate the truth at this point, I want to read a story from Judges chapter 7 where um, this, this judge named Gideon is about to go into battle. And this is one of the judges, there are 12 judges that Israel has right after this period of war when they come and they conquer the promised land before they have a king. 
And Gideon is one of the judges who experiences massive doubt, probably more doubt than any of the other judges. He just does not believe what God wants him to do. So because of that, because of his disbelief, he experiences one of the greatest battles. Because when he finally believes in God, I, I, I think God has humor, and I feel like God is just messing with him at this point. There's, a, there's armies coming to attack Israel, and so we're going to read in Judges chapter 7, verse 2, kind of the truth of this law. It says, The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hand, lest Israel boast over me. So God's saying, you have too many people, because if you win, you're going to be saying, look at what we did. And so, what happens? He says, you're going to boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. God doesn't want that to happen. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home. Right? We just read about that law. And hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. You know, you may be thinking you're giving a great speech and we're going to fight and we're going to win. And now whoever doesn't believe that and wants to turn around and go home, go home now. As a leader, you're probably expecting nobody to go home. Now imagine there's 32,000 people with you and 22,000 of them peace out after you give that speech. That would be annoying. And so then they have 10,000 left, and God says, actually, that's still too many. We're not going to read the rest, but God says, go drink in the brook. And based off of how the men drink, I want you to get rid of the rest, and they're left with the original 300. You've heard of the 300 Spartans? Well, this is the 300 Israelites. And God uses these 300 men to go in and to defeat the army of the Midianites, who are tens of thousands, so that he can show them the truth of the statement that he says. Who wins this battle? Do you do it or do I do it? Who, who do you need to have faith in? Do you have faith in your own abilities or do you have faith in my ability? Who goes before you? I go before you. And so God many times shows off a little bit like he does here with Gideon. Many times God will do something so unreasonable in our lives that the only response that we can have to somebody is, when they ask, how did that happen, is we have to say, God did that. Sometimes it's so unimaginable, the, the thing that we have walked in, the victory that we have, that when somebody says, how did that happen? The only response that is left is we can't say, well, actually, let me take out my 10-point plan of victory and strategy and show you how genius I am. Where instead, it's like, that didn't work. That was useless. I was about to be destroyed. But look at what God did. Now, if you don't have any of those stories, I'm going to pray that you have them. And you may think that's a good prayer, but it's not a good prayer. Uh, because that means, like Gideon's army, it might be 300 of, uh, against a few tens of thousands of people. So it's going to be a thing in your life where you think, there is no way I'm getting past this. And that's the truth. There are times in our lives where there's just no option that we have. And... What happens then when we put our faith in God 
instead of our options and our strategy. I'll let you figure that out. And then this last law Moses gives, he says, then the commander shall be appointed. So he says, after all is said and done, everybody that doesn't want to be here, everybody that needs to go, let them go. And then after that, we're going to put leaders in charge. And then we're going to go into battle. And so, how does this apply to us today? Uh, We are not fighting physical enemies of God. And in fact, you know, what we talk about every week is this. What is the point of reading through Deuteronomy together? It is so that we can understand who God is, the character of God, what type of God that we serve, that is never changing. The things that God says about himself does not change. But his relationship with the people on earth has changed because of Jesus Christ. And so his people today are still fighting battles. But we are fighting very different battles. The scripture says that we do not fight any longer against flesh and blood. But we now fight spiritual battles. We're going to read from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 13, to understand the battle that Christians face today. If we follow God, this is the battle that we are facing. Paul says in Ephesians 6, verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So this is our battle today. Now, when it comes to talking about Satan or the devil, I see two um, very kind of prevalent theologies or understandings of this. And the first one is people usually believe in him or people just do not believe in him at all. This is a made-up being. So for the ones that believe in him, though, uh, I I find a pattern, all right? The pattern is usually this. Usually they give the devil credit for everything. That dude is working overtime and he is busting his butt and thinking about you 24-7. They take Satan to the extreme. It's like I'm walking to the train to work this morning. It's raining and it's Satan is against me today and I rebuke you and this rain and you're trying to destroy my mood and I pronounce the victory of God over this rain right now. The devil's a liar. Come on. Satan is this powerful, scary, fear-inducing, and the bane of all your problems and of your existence. You know, there was a book I was not supposed to read when I was a kid um, that a lot of people in our church and in our circle read called A Divine Revelation of Hell. If you've been a Christian long enough, you probably have heard of this book if you were in the charismatic circles. So what was funny about this book is every Christian that read it came away with a deeper fear of Satan than when they started with it. You know, this lady had this revelation of hell and of Satan, and the takeaway from that was that a lot of Christians started to live in fear of the enemy. A lot of Christians started to live in fear of Satan. 
And this, this reminds me of a story, actually, I just had recently with Judah. Uh, Judah has finally gotten to the stage where he's starting to get scared of things. And so the other day, he was going down to, um, to be with his grandparents. And on his way down a hallway to be with his grandparents, he stopped right at one of the doors. He was about to go into a hallway that was dark. And he looks into the hallway, and I see fear come over his eyes. And he looks, and I said, you know, I was up the stairs, and I said, Judah, what's wrong? He goes, Daddy, I'm scared of monsters. I said, oh, it's cute. <laughs> I was like, Judah, don't worry about it. Just go downstairs. Me, Mom, Pop, they down there. Don't worry about it. He goes, no, Daddy, come with me. I'm scared of the monsters. And now, you know, as a typical parent, after the first one, my patience is gone. You know, so I start to get frustrated. I'm like, Judah, just go downstairs. Come on. There's nothing to be worried about. He goes, no, Daddy, please come with me. I don't want to be where the monsters are. I'm like, who even told this kid about monsters? (laughs) And so finally, as I go, I got something for you. I said, Judah, God is in this house. Monsters are not allowed to be here. So go downstairs and don't be afraid because God is with you. And he went, "Hmm." okay, Daddy. And just walk straight down the stairs. And sometimes we get afraid of the boogeyman that's coming to get us. Because of his all-powerful, all-knowing, and we turn him into being God. And we become like a child going through a dark hallway, forgetting who goes before us. But then there's the camp that does not believe in God and in Satan. You know, Satan is just the made-up boogeyman and he is nothing else. You know, usually this, uh, the, this person or people, it's not really a disbelief in Satan, but it's a disbelief in anything supernatural. You know, even Christians. You know, there was a sect of uh, Jews in Jesus' day that did not believe in the resurrection, that did not believe in anything supernatural. And so today we still have this kind of issue where people just think Satan is a made-up being, he doesn't exist, and he's just the boogeyman of people's dreams. And this is in the postmodern world that we live in, this is becoming more and more popular. We refuse to accept beings that are not tangible. Unless I can touch them feel them, then this thing does not exist. And so what we want is we want a biblical view. What does scripture have to say about this? Scripture says Satan is is real, and we have to fight against him. We have to fight against his wiles, we have to fight against his temptations, and we have to fight against his attacks as part of our lives. In 1 Peter 3.8, Peter says this, he says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He is real, but is he someone to fear, is the question. The answer is no. See, the thing about Satan and the thing about his temptations, his attacks, and his wiles is that God has given us everything that we need in order to fight him. But what happens a lot of times with Christians is we get confused in the different battles that are going on in our life. 
See, we have the battle against our flesh, as the Bible says, which is our own desires, our own personal wants, our own uh, things that we crave, maybe our addictions. And sometimes Satan uses those things to get at us. But we have these personal battles against our flesh or against the human desires. And then we also have the battle against Satan. And there's a difference between the battle of the flesh and the battle of Satan. See, the battle of our flesh, which we're not talking about today, the way we win that battle is by the transformation of the Holy Spirit of our hearts and our minds through his renewing that happens daily by what's called sanctification. That is the daily being with God, that over time our hearts are renewed, our minds are renewed, are changed, our desires are changed, our wants are changed, our heart is changed. And we start seeing the things that God wants are the things that I want. The things that God dislikes are the things that I dislike. The things that God loves are the things that I love. And many times we get these battles confused. because we. And what's important about not getting them confused is we have to fight them very differently. See, we fight the battle of the flesh by being renewed by the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. The battle against Satan has very specific tools that God has given us to fight. See, when Satan comes and tells me, you are not good enough. You're not good enough for God. That's a lie of the enemy that he has used in many people's minds to sidetrack them. That's a lie the enemy has used in my life for years. When Satan comes and he does that, I fight back with scripture. The Bible tells me that the word of God is The sword that we use is a double-edged sword. So you know what I tell Satan when he tells me that? Say, yo, you're absolutely right. I'm not. In fact, nobody is good enough. But that is why the grace of God is so amazing and so powerful. Because even though I am not good enough, the scripture says that while we were still sinners in our state of not being good enough, Christ died for us. And so when the enemy comes and he tries to lie to me, to sidetrack me from my relationship, the thing that I can use to fight him with is scripture. And when Satan comes, he will twist scripture. Look no further than when Jesus was tempted by him in the wilderness. What does the devil do? He quotes scripture to Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He says, your context is off, brother. Let me tell you what scripture really says. See, when I feel overwhelmed by the amount maybe of his attacks, I'm going through a season of a lot of attacks of the enemy. What do I do? In those moments, it's really easy. I've been there. Where I'm just feeling like I'm getting hit left and right. I'm getting hit from all around me. And so what do I want to do? I want to give up because it looks like the battle that I'm facing right now, like I'm going to lose. It looks like the amount of attack, the places that it's coming from, the battles that I'm going through, it looks like, Justin, you might as well give up. And there have been many times where I did give up because I looked inside myself and I asked myself, do I have the strength to withstand against this? Do I have the energy to keep saying no to these lies? Do I have the power 
to keep on trying to act like this is not a big deal. And you know what? Through my many failures in this, God has taught me a lesson, something that he has written in his word that he's told us to do, that we have a shield of faith, that I stand behind my faith in those moments. See, when Israel was going out to battle and and God said, remember before you go out that I go before you and I am winning the victory on your behalf. But then we look at Israel and we think, why were they so dumb sometimes that they would still get afraid in the midst of the battle? They would still get afraid when they saw the armies, when they saw the walls, when they saw the, the, the great multitudes of fighting men coming after them. But then I realized that I need to stop hating on Israel because I have been Israel so many times where I know what God has said, I know what God has done, yet still in the midst of battle, I am losing faith and giving up. Yet God says, stand behind your faith, no matter how bad it looks, no matter what the situation is like in your life, no matter what the suffering is, no matter what the pain is, no matter what has happened in your life, stand behind your belief in me. Amen. See, Peter says this in verse 9 after he says that the enemy is seeking who he may devour. He says, resist him, firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. See, many of us in our glorification of Satan or in our forgetfulness of Satan, of who he is, have forgotten to fight. See, a lot of times, sometimes we we take scripture out of context. And we say, you know what? I don't even need to fight. I don't even need to try. We, we get rid of all human responsibility and we just say, whatever is going to happen with my salvation, whatever is going to happen with my life, I'm just going to let it happen. Some of us have gone to the complete other side and we say, well, no, it's all in my hands. Everything. I, I need to save myself. I need to win this battle. I need to fight this fight and over time you get worn out thinking like that but we have to realize that we are in a battle that what does Peter say here he says resist him Satan is fighting the church all over the globe all over the world he has attacks that he is setting off that he does not want to see the glorification of Jesus and the success of the church worldwide. His main thing that he is doing is he is fighting against this. But what has Jesus said? He said that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. He has said that Satan is in a losing battle. Peter has told us here that we need to resist him firm in our faith, that we are not alone in what we are experiencing. 
And this is the end game that Peter says in verse 10. When you're experiencing this battle, when you are fighting him and you're resisting him, what happens? He says, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. He says, and you, after you have suffered a little while, I love that, because a lot of us think that victory equals no suffering, that God is not coming into his side of the equation if I experience a little pain. When truth be told, God is using that suffering many times, he's using that pain to refine our hearts and our trust and our faith in him. And when we walk away, when it's like, oh, I got a little hurt. <laughs> the question has to be asked is, did you even believe it in the first place? Come on. Some of the things that derailed me in my past, I look back at that now and I think, man, I just wanted a happy-go-lucky life. I was serving my own God. I was serving my own heart because anything that displeased me did not belong in my religion. See, I was not serving the God that said, resist. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be pain. But in the end, I will be there. Do not give up. I go before you. Do not lay down. Resist him. And know that when you experience pain, when you experience suffering, when you are going through the motions and you're thinking, God, what is going on? What in the world is happening right now? Think that there are brothers and sisters around the globe that are experiencing the same thing. You are not alone. See, one of the biggest lies of the enemy is what you are going through, you are going through alone and nobody else understands the pain and the suffering that you have in your life. But that is a lie. Because the church worldwide is experiencing suffering and there are people that are experiencing the same lies of Satan that you are experiencing today. That maybe it was my identity was wrapped up in the job that I lost and now since I lost it, I am nothing and God doesn't love me anymore. Maybe it is that I'm experiencing physical health problems and so God is not with me anymore. I lost his blessing and I lost his hand over my life. Maybe it's that your closest friends or your family have come against you and you're starting to think, God, does anybody love me? I'm starting to think not even you love me. But God is saying, don't go by your physical surroundings. Don't go by the armies that are surrounding you. Don't go by the people that are coming against you. Don't go by what things look like in the natural, but realize that you are fighting against things that are supernatural. And if you resist in due time, guess what? I am coming for you. If you resist, if you fight, realize that if you hold out a little bit longer, that I will restore you, I will confirm you, I will strengthen you, I will establish you. God comes. And the moments, a lot of times, is we are about to give up. A lot of times, it's the moments... 
that we just say, man, there's no way that you're in this anymore. Maybe like Israel going up to fight against city after city after city, thinking, God, these are too many to come against us. What is what does God constantly affirm in his people? No matter what the physical looks like, have faith in me. Because when you do that, you are saying, God, it's not my strength. It's not my power. It's not my will. It's not my ability. But it is you. It is your strength. It is your victory. We're going to get back on the other side of this, and I'm going to say there is no way that my hand being put to work was able to accomplish what happened today. Too many times we are in our life trying to put our hands to the plow, trying to take all the credit for the victory, trying to put in all the work, but God is saying, have faith in me, resist and fight. And after some time, he is going to confirm He is going to restore. And that is a word to many people here. You've been fighting and you have become weary. But God is saying, put your trust in me today. Put your trust in me that I go before you in battle. That I go before you in victory. And that if you become weary, if you've been resisting, then have faith that I am coming to strengthen you. Have faith that I am coming to restore you. Have faith that I am coming to confirm you. Why don't we stand? We're going to get ready for communion. Communion is an act of remembrance. We remember the battle that Jesus fought on our behalf because we couldn't. That his body was broken and his blood was shed. We took on the condemnation. So that we can have relationship with God restored and enter into this new covenant, this new relationship with God that we keep talking about. And all throughout scripture, there's reminders to us that we need to be people that remember what God has done for us. And so in communion, when we take the cup and we take the bread, we are remembering what Jesus has done for us. That in our place, he died on the cross and he rose again. It's something that none of us could do so that through him we can be in the presence of the Father. And so what we're going to do while we're worshiping is the communion table is right down here. So we're going to ask that you come down on the right side. If you are in the rows, there's, there's a separation in the middle of the aisle. Come down on the right side, your right, and then go up on your left so that we can have a flow of people coming down. We're going to ask you to come down here and then go like that. And so let's pray.